Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 28, and episode 28 is with Chammy, aka Misconception Coach on Instagram. And I've been following Chammy for quite some time because I found her posts so relatable and I feel so seen and so heard when I read what she writes about trauma, grief, and loss in the setting of infertility. Um, she has this like insane ability and I know I say this a lot on this episode, but it's true because she just has this insane ability to uh, like understand what goes on in our minds, our bodies, and our hearts while we're going through this like stupid roller coaster of infertility. And I just, it, it just blows my mind how she can just fully understand what's going on. And I can't remember if I found her on Instagram because Instagram thought I would like her or if it was after my interview with Lucky Baby M Lamb, aka Annie. Um, which is episode 12 if you're looking for it. Um, on that episode, when Annie and I were talking, she shares this moment where she hits rock bottom during her fertility path and realized that she needed extra help getting to the other side. And that's when she reached out to Chami. And her recount of how Chami like, understood her and understood her thoughts and feelings and her experience really helped me Realize that not all coaches or even therapists are the same. It just kind of helped me realize how someone who is specialized in the space can really understand and support you. So I reached out to Chami and asked her if she would come on the show and share her experience. And she was so, so gracious and without hesitation said yes. And so I, for a moment, <laughs> to be honest, having a podcast is really hard. <laughs> Like there, you get a lot of no's and I get it. This is like stuff we do in our spare time and, you know, they're offering up their time for free. And I'm so, so grateful for every single person who has done that. And they're just, you know, they're volunteering their expertise um, or their experience. And that just touches my soul because they're doing all of this out of the kindness of their heart to help us all. Um, so I'm so grateful um, to everyone. I know I digress. But anyway, so Chami said yes. And um, we spent some time brainstorming about what we were going to talk about because there's so much we could tackle. And so we decided that it was really important to share what was normal to experience emotionally and mentally during this process as well as how to quiet the expectations of ourselves and the expectation of others. So we talk about that today and um, we talk about what that means. So like if you're working with colleagues and you have, you know, someone at work that maybe doesn't understand what you're going through or maybe how to navigate your own experience around someone else who um, is you know, going through pregnancy or whatever, um, or, you know, demanding family members and what that means, um, navigating a very delicate relationship, like if you have a mother-in-law or a mother or whatever, that might be um, a little overbearing or just really demanding 
um, while you're going through your own emotional thing or, you know, what it means even if you're struggling just yourself, you are struggling. So we kind of tackle all of this because I think one thing that we aren't talking about is the feelings that we get and whether or not that's normal. And by normal, I mean whether or not we struggle because the reality is, um, so heads up, there's strong language coming. Um, this shit is fucking hard. <laughs> like, and I think that we, because we don't talk about this and we don't talk about all this struggle because, you know, we're all in our own little silos kind of trying to deal with this on the, on our own. I don't think we talk about it enough that like, this is hard. And for some of us, it's parts of it are harder than others. And it doesn't mean that you're less than, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you're the only person who feels this. But I mean, because we don't talk about infertility at all, we don't talk about this. And so we all feel like, you know, I know I've had moments where I felt like, am I overreacting? Is this is this like normal for me to feel this way? Is this because I feel like it's overwhelming, but because we don't ever like really talk about it in our normal lives, you know, aside from having our like infertility tribes, like we don't know that this is okay to feel or part of the process, which really sucks too. Nobody tells you about that. Like it's one thing to go through, you know, IUIs or, you know, all this testing or IVF or whatever, but it's another to have like this whole other set of emotional stuff that comes along with the ride. Um, and so I, I think it it's really important for us to kind of talk about this so that when you are struggling, all of us will struggle at different parts of, you know, this whole experience um, that, you know, you know that other people are going through it, but also that it is okay to ask for help. And we kind of talk about what this means to asking for help and why some people feel um, more drawn to asking for help while others don't because there's a lot of stuff kind of that comes up with that. But, you know, when you do ask for help, um, it's really nice to talk to someone who really gets it. And I mean, like, gets it, like, Chammy gets it, you know, and you'll see, like, when she, when she starts talking, you're like, yes, yes, yeah, I had to, like, I couldn't stop saying yes. And so I took out some of the yeses, because, like, you don't need to hear me saying yes the whole time. But um, you, you just you find yourself going, yes, 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 yes. And when when that happens, you're just like, oh my gosh, you get you get it. It is like a whole different experience because you're like, oh, like I'm not alone. Like you feel like it's just makes getting through this whole thing so much easier. And you know, if you have someone for support, um, like Chami, it doesn't mean that you won't struggle. It just means that when you do struggle, you have a really, really strong pillar to lean on and. You know, I think something that's also important to say is that if you really are struggling, please remember that at least in the U.S., the suicide prevention hotline can be reached by dialing 988 and that help is available for you. But um, also, if you're just kind of entering this space and you're like, whoa, this is way harder than I anticipated, that there are people out there who can help support you and that these professionals who are in this infertility space are just really, really wonderful. Um, so, you know, I just want to make sure you guys know that. As always, if you found this 
um, information, this conversation today valuable, please, please, please share this episode, leave a five-star review or written review on whichever platform you're listening on. Um, This really helps get the podcast out to more people. And I'm recently found out, I think just like yesterday, (laughs) that um, it hit 10,000 downloads. So I'm so, so excited about that. And it's totally nuts to me. Um, But thank you to everyone for being here, all the guests, all of you for listening. Um, It just blows my mind that, um, you know, I I have people who are listening (laughs) like this so crazy to me. But thank you for everybody. Thank you so much. I am so, so grateful from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as always, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to explore topic ideas for future episodes. So don't hesitate to reach out. Okay, I know I just talk forever and ever and ever and I'm so sorry. So it's time to chat with Chammy. So let's go. Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician, and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique, and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today we have Chammy at Misconception Coach on Instagram with us today talking about expectation of others during fertility uh, treatment. So thank you so much, Chammy, for being here today. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Yes. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so let's start first off because um, so I found well I found out about you a couple of different ways so the first way is I was following you already on Instagram and then I had Annie Lucky Baby Lamb back on I think episode 12 and she just like sang your praises just said all these wonderful things about you and so I said oh my god I have to talk to her so that's one of the reasons why I needed to have you on here and I like whenever I read your posts you just seem to like understand our point of view I don't know how you do it I don't know how you're able to just like get inside of our heads and hearts but you do and I am like so so grateful that there's someone out there who gets it but I just kind of wanted to know how you got into this fertility space and kind of how you know you made your way here because it's I mean it's a hard space to be in you know to talk to all of us who are just a a lot of us come to you because we're struggling oh gosh thank you so much I I did I watched that I listened to that episode it was so wonderful (laughs) um so thanks again for thinking about me um yeah I think it's really important to just talk about the truth of, you know, infertility. And I think maybe, and I, I hope maybe that's why it speaks to so many people. I don't kind of sugarcoat things and truths. And I try to just share what people want to say and how they're feeling. Um, and I guess, yeah, circling back to kind of how I got into this was really at the crossroads of um, my education and my, you know, I went to school for psychiatric nursing and, um, when I was at the crossroads with my own secondary infertility and losses, it's it was in that moment that I kind of felt that we deserve something better. Um, even though in Canada we have such a good healthcare system, you're really just 
sent home to kind of deal with the aftermath of the emotions and what you're what just happened to you um, and we have a lot of wait lists you know so even if you wanted to see someone for mental health or emotional support it's usually four to six weeks up to months um, of waiting and it was in that space that I said well it, how great would it be to have something online that we could go to that was a space you know somewhere somebody was awake you know in Australia and someone's in Canada and in the US and just to connect and vent and share and so I just started up the, the Facebook group and the Instagram page and it kind of snowballed from there with just people really connecting and, and saying you know this is really needed and I'm so glad this space is here because looking back gosh that was what six years ago seven years ago what we had on Instagram was is really different than what we have now and it's been really amazing to watch that space grow into such um, a support space and a community more so, right? It's wonderful to see that now. Yeah, I think what you say is so true about what how we kind of are just left with our emotions after all of this. So my first miscarriage was in 2015 and there was no like when I left that office when they told me about the miscarriage there was no discussion about the feelings around that and what what you would be left with afterwards it was just I'm sorry these things happen but we don't ever talk about it and so subsequently we go home and none of us talk about it when we go home and then you're so right that you just are left with these feelings and they're heavy feelings and you don't ever talk about them again you don't ever like touch base with them again and um it really is a necessity and i and i think this is ties into the expectations i think people expect us to just be okay and to like for this not to be a big deal particularly if it's early you know you hear that a lot mm-hmm. with people who experience loss early or if it's you know uh, IVF you know transfer frozen transfer or something that didn't take or something that's still a loss but I think a lot of people don't expect you to take that difficult because it you weren't quote unquote into a pregnancy, but it's still all the hopes and everything still come with each of those transfers. So, I mean, yes. you're so right about this space being needed and to normalize the conversation of struggling during all this because it's, I mean, I, I, can't, yeah. I can't imagine not, you know? Yeah, it's so true because I remember sitting there at home after one of my losses and all I wanted was to speak to somebody else that knew that pain and yes. I had a friend that had gone through one and it's kind of, that's really how that happens of support. It's, oh, my, you know, my friend had one too and maybe I'll reach out to her. You know, we just want to speak with someone that knows the pain of it. And that was really actually the the main thing that got me through that space was having her in that moment just say, I know what it feels like. Um, I've been there. I know how scary it is and how confused this moment is. Just adding comfort to that space was so beneficial. So that was that was really what I tried to do is take that to, you know, in in a larger space of, wow, we need somebody that is there in that first moment that doesn't try to fix it or doesn't talk about, oh, the next step, the next plans, or you'll be fine. 
um, just to sit with us in that pain and say, you're not alone. It's okay. Let's just get through this together. Yeah. And what do you think, you know, speaking of some of these expectations, what do you think are some of the most common expectations that us as, you know, people struggling with infertility have for ourselves? What seems to be this common theme that you hear over and over? Yeah, that's such a good question, because I think it's, if we're talking about the framework of grief and loss, and and that means fertility treatment loss, obviously embryo loss, and all sorts of different types of loss that are not necessarily even tangible, right? Just that space of, we always had a framework that I would put in hard work, I would make a plan, and it would happen. And there's nothing that infertility does more to you than says, ah, no, that's not happening, you know? And so, not only was our is our dream halted, but we're really left feeling like, what is the framework that I'm supposed to use? I can't control my body. I can't make plans. It's just kind of this waiting space with, that's really frustrating. So I think, yeah, the expectation starts to be our reframe of what can we do um, and really being more compassionate to that space. We are doing everything we can. We are doing our best. And the outcomes are not necessarily in our grasp or in our control. Mm-hmm. So it's I think when we think about expectation, it's really that space of what I knew before of how life was supposed to go. I have to pivot and now really rebalance everything, right, to, to help that. Do you find that? Because I know for me, it is... Uh, it was like kind of a shock, a blow that like, oh, wait, I'm, you know, it's not, it's not one and done. It's multiple. And even with multiple, there's not a promise or guarantee that I'll come out of this thing with, you know, what I want, or it won't be what it could. It's possible that it's not how I imagined it to be. Like, do you find a lot of people come in going like, wait, I didn't know this was a possibility. Like, I didn't know that we could come out of the the other end completely different than we had imagined. I think so, right? And I feel like when we use words like, oh, I was just so naively optimistic, but you weren't. That's just in hindsight. We had no idea. And that's the kind of the thing that I try to remind clients is this is all new. First rodeo, never been here before. New emotions, new pivots, new realities, even to the point of diagnoses, obviously, right? Um, This is all being told to us. We're supposed to still process this and um, make huge choices and decisions. Um, So that's that's a lot, right? That's a lot to just think your life has been turned upside down um, and you're working through all of that. Yeah. What do you think are common expectations of others, like on those of us who are struggling with infertility? Like, do your clients come in and say, you know, you know, this person keeps saying this to me, or they expect me to just, for instance, this is a common one we all talk about, like these baby showers. It's like not a big deal. Let's just go to the baby shower. Or there's a Mother's Day thing, like just come. It's a big deal. I don't understand why you don't want to go or can't go. Do you find that a lot of people will talk about that, like uh, other people's expectations of us, um, just from not knowing what it's like to live through this comes up a lot? Or is it mostly some of the expectations we put on ourselves? Like what's, what do you think yeah. is... I think that's that's a, that's a really big question to answer because when we feel the guilt about it, right, it's, it's a lot to do with 
I know I can't go. I know that it's going to be really hard. And it, even the choice not to go is usually not a hard one. Yes. Because it's not even really a choice. It's just a reaction to something our body's processing because we've experienced something really big, really distressing, um, sometimes really traumatic. Um, and so that's the framework I like to all, always start with too. It's not a choice. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a boundary or an effect and reaction to your reality. So if we can take some of that not, you know, context, it alleviates the guilt. I'm not choosing not to go. I just can't go um, because right now I'm dealing with a lot of big stuff. Um, but we worry that people will be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. If I lean into this boundary and I and I actually value my needs and don't self-abandon in this moment, what will they think about that? Right. That expectation of what do I owe people in my healing? Mm -hmm. I can't do both. I can't abandon what I need without resentment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Right. We we will go if we go, we're going to be like, oh, why am I here? I can't believe. So or we feel guilty about going, but are honoring our needs. So we have to kind of choose guilt or, or um, resentment. And it's, it's better to choose guilt because guilt is just saying, hey, you know what, Victoria, you chose yourself today. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can be just like a little voice reminding us guilt is natural. Um, and it, we don't have to shy away from it. We can kind of even celebrate it and say, yeah, maybe guilt's showing up because I did choose myself and this is an uncomfortable space. This is new. I don't really like having to disappoint people, but I also know it's necessary for me to heal. And I think people that love me will understand that. Like, how do we find the confidence to kind of, you know, and this is also another deep question. I mean, all of this is like deep, right? There's a lot of underpinnings of other stuff going on that makes this difficult for us. Because, you know, I I think there are a couple of things. One, I think as women, we tend to be people pleasers. We tend to put others first before us. So how do we get confident to kind of stand in our own space and say, you know what, I have to put me first like because you know for all a lot of us it'll be hard particularly if there's something you know like a parent like a mother or a mother-in-law where there may be some cultural expectations or that can be very very um, disrespectful if we don't go or do certain things or you know say certain things so how do we find that footing to feel stable and kind of strong in in where we stand. I love that cultural aspect of it always as a lens because I think it's so important to know someone's all the hats that they wear, right? They're not as as a daughter, as a wife, as a sister, as you know, all of these things. And we're trying to balance all of those relationships. And I think, yeah, the cultural aspects and the expectations of our primary kind of caregivers and people in our family are the ones that really start to sort of fester, right? Because that that lens of disappointment is a big one. And I wonder if it's not so much confidence, but how do we build up the compassion for ourselves so that we say, I deserve to heal. I deserve to have space and time to work through these big things. And not everyone will understand that but I still deserve it. And how to do that gracefully without, you know, 
sort of drama or animosity or friction of just always leading with, you know, I would love to be there. I'm so happy for you guys. I really wish I could spend time with everyone because that is the truth. Like, I'm sad for me because I can't go. Like, it's not that we don't want to go and, and having to step down is really hard. So just remembering that this is hard for you first and foremost. You, you're missing out of the fun and the, the family stuff and the activities. Um, but also just remembering that if you just lead with the compassion that, you know, I know you guys really wanted me there. I totally get that. I wish I could be there. But you know what? Let's when we can, we will. Yes, that's really the mantra. Of infra- when yes, I can. I will. <laughs> when I can't, please be respectful and gracious because we just need a little bit. We need a lot of compassion and and grace when we need it, right? So it's a it's a give and take for sure. Yeah, and I think too another thing that happens is you know a lot of us kind of like you mentioned earlier will go through this alone, kind of in silence, I think for a couple of different reasons. I think one, because maybe we don't know what to do with those feelings. And I think another thing that happens a lot too, or, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I can say for me, sometimes what happens is I feel like I don't want to burden other people with some of these things going on. So for instance, at work, there's like two girls that are pregnant at this point, right? So it's like super fun going into work because that's all I see every day is like two pregnant people, right? And so they come in and they talk about their pregnancies and stuff and, you know, whatever. And so for me, you know, there's a few different reasons why I don't talk about what I'm going through. One is, I don't know that I'm ready to like open up that much to complete strangers although I say that while I'm doing a podcast with like all strangers but but like so at work you know I don't feel like I I want to completely you know open that part up uh, of me but also because I don't want to take the wind out of their sails like I don't want them to feel like really awkward around me because I'm going through what I'm going through so the question then becomes, for those of us who say are in this space, who work with people who are pregnant or whatever, or maybe even if they're not, is, you know, do we talk about it so we don't, we're not sitting alone with all of this? Or do we not talk about it because, you know, it can make other people feel uncomfortable. Not that, you know, we should, how we operate should be based on how other people feel. But I mean, I think these things come up where people aren't quite sure what they mm-hmm. should do and that because right. like do you reach out and get help but that make might make someone uncomfortable or do you not you know right and there's no i don't think there's any one answer to right because we've we just described beautifully the different nuances of spaces how we have our work hat and how different that really is because they're that they're, they're colleagues they're not they don't know kind of our intimate details and our history and so we don't owe that space relationship necessarily are vulnerable spaces um, more so how can we protect ourselves so we can get through the 12-hour shift or whatever it is that we can go maybe you know to the bathroom or the lunchroom and just have some quiet time away and just know that's needed um, but then it, you know if it's someone closer to you that's it gets a bit trickier but I think we have to always circle back to what what is support? And that's a question I always ask, you know, almost on the first session is that's a really hard 
question to answer because people are always, you know, let me know what you need. I'm here for you. Just, you know, let me know if I can help. And it's, we're kind of left dumbfounded because what is support? What do we need? We don't know. We often don't know what that feels like. We often know what we don't want, we don't like, and that's very obvious. You know, we get triggered really quickly or there's just, it feels very platitudes or, you know, that fix it. Um, so and figuring out what feels safe for us is a good place to start. And that changes depending on who it is. And we're, we get really good at gauging that. We get good at gauging if this person has the capacity to actually handle this space, if we are comfortable with them sharing really vulnerable things, because the worst feeling is, you know, the sh big share and then just being ghosted or yeah. being stonewalled. It's like yeah. you're left out there alone. Yeah. It's vulnerable. And now you feel even rejected and abandoned. And so when we have that happen, our brain says, okay, I'm, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. It was yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. So it's, it's, I know it's navigating who, who can handle it? Who will be empathetic? Who will actually be feel like support? And we're surprised because the people that we assume might be are not necessarily the ones that are. Um, and I find that a lot with family. You know, they, these are, these, this is my clan. They're supposed to be supportive and sympathetic, but sometimes they don't actually have the ability to emote compassion and comfort in a way that registers to us as comfort and compassion. You know, their love language might be, I'm bringing over dinner and, and calling you five times a day. Right, yeah. <laughs> right? Thanks, mom. But, yeah. But we don't really need, that might not register as support and compassion. So I know it's, it's a dance, isn't it, of what people are offering, what their capacity is, and what we actually feel as, as support. Would it, for the majority of your clients that see you, what do you think has been a common theme? Like, what are people struggling with? I think everyone has the same self-reflection um, of big feelings that feel polar opposites. Mm. You need to have that emotional agility of it's not one or the other. It can be really sad and I'm also really hopeful, right? It can be just so many different nuanced spaces and that's okay. So that's what we try to normalize is um, uh, it's a mixed bag of feelings and that's okay. You know, I, it's not about how can I be more hopeful into my next transfer? It's how can I get comfortable with feeling a whole bunch of emotions, fear, happiness, sadness, grief, joy, and normalizing that that is the benchmark. That is the goal is to just make room for everything. Um, and then we sometimes often compare to our spouse or the partner that we're going through treatment or infertility with is um, they seem like they're better emotionally than me or they've moved on and handling grief better than me. But what we try to also add context to is, yeah, but you know what? They have the privilege of detaching their body from their, from their emotions because it's not as much a physical experience as it is for for the woman, the I call it the physical body guy and the supporter. Um, and so just normalizing that with, with couples is really important that we, we were there experiencing something, but we experienced it very differently. And so good news is we need different things and we can help each other in a different way. 
that's equitable, but it's not equal. And let's let's be honest about that. Let's not pretend this is we're we're fifty fifty. And I think that's where resentment starts to grow. Is if that lens is not normalized, you do so much more. Your body is through going through so much more, and and not in a way to, to kind of shame the partner yeah. to say hey we get it we know how hard that is to watch someone you love suffer and not be able to help or to feel so helpless um, because you see their emotional you know scale really up and down and how to help that space so normalizing it is good and then we can help each other say so what are the skills and you know the things we can bring each other that are that feels like support and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think you say so many so many good things, but I, I think one of the things we don't do a good job of sometimes too. It's kind of like you said, is kind of giving ourselves some grace that says, you know, yeah, it's okay to feel all of these things because I I know for me I do beat myself up because for some reason there's this expectation that we should only feel one emotion at a time, which sounds crazy when you say it out loud. Like, you know, when I hear it out loud, I'm like, that's so silly. Like you can, it's like, you can only be hot, but not cold. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it feels like sometimes. It's like, but when I was talking to another warrior the other day, I was talking about how I'm like exhausted and tired, but at the same point in time, I feel like I need to be 110% working on the next step because that's what's going to get me. But I am like so tired of it all. I'm so over, you know, it's this weird kind of, I don't want to call it a balance because it's not necessarily a balance. I, I do feel like it fluctuates. It's this weird teeter-totter of like mm-hmm. emotions almost. And I don't know why we feel like we need to only feel one emotion at a time, but we do. You're right. The expectation in our own brains is that, yes, you only feel one emotion at a time. And then we're so confused at ourselves and kind of almost get angry at ourselves sometimes for feeling more than one emotion at one time when it's totally normal. Right. And it's even more so we don't even have the consciousness to know what we're feeling until later, right? Yes. So it's our body, our body, our actual physical being registers things very fast and then we sort of name it. Um, and that's the thing about just tapping into witnessing. We don't have to attach or sort of start processing every feeling that pops up into our our mind or our thought that pops up, we can just be like, okay, hmm, I see you are there. Yeah. (laughs) I I feel the the stress coming on. I see it kind of building. I'm I'm noticing some anxious thoughts Um, and just kind of be a a witnesser. Is that a word, witnesser? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We witness them without, because what we tend to do is say, oh, I'm getting stressed out. And then we attach the story and then the shame and then the guilt to it. And then we have to fix it. But if we can create a little bit of space to just witness and let it just, you know, sit there for a bit, we can, we can go more to the thought. I wonder what kind of thoughts I'm having about that. And it's usually the thoughts that we start to ruminate. So in sessions, we look at the thoughts a lot because A, a lot of the thoughts are false. They stem from our fear, they stem from past stories, they stem from other people's um, input. So we we go through the thoughts and we say, which ones do we know as truth and which ones are we just needing to, to witness and to really debunk 
Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a visual, right? Yeah. Just sliding left, sliding yeah. left, closing all those tabs. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Until we're left with like, okay, we're left with what we know for sure. And that's a better place to land because then we have something to work with. And maybe it's still fear and maybe it's still a lot of the other, you know, bigger emotions, but that's okay. Let's sit with that and talk about that. Yeah. Comfort it. Yeah. You're so right. I had, um, and I, I, I keep coming back to me only because I'm just using these as examples in case people are like, oh, I don't know if that's me, but I had, you know, this moment, I don't know, a few days ago where I felt like, I don't know what it was, but I felt this like kind of rush in my body and I remember thinking I just got to get up and do something like I have but it's it's almost that like it was I think what it was is like kind of a little bit of a panic attack because I was like I have to get up and move I have to get up and run it's like that fight or flight kind of feeling Mm -hmm. that I had and same thing with like this one other time I was just so angry about like for whatever reason that whole day I was just super angry and I remember I was talking to a therapist about this and she said do you know what that is and I was like well I'm angry and she's like no that's grief like what you're feeling is grief you're just registering it as anger and that just helped me realize that I have no idea what's happening you know like you feel these feelings but you don't make the connections until sometimes somebody helps you who's outside of it all can help you make that connection to say hey what you're feeling is this so I think that's where having someone who's not in your inner circle that's going through this with you to like take a step back and say hey you know let's talk about these feelings that's what they mean and that's right because I cannot see them because I'm deeply deeply involved and I had no idea like you said when you start to dissect them with someone and you start to peel away kind of those different layers and what's real and what's not you really get to the root of what you're feeling and I think once you understand that then that's where I think you're able to give yourself some grace. You know what I was, why I was like so angry, but I was like pissed. (laughs) I'm pissed about something, you know, but like how human of you to be able to just be angry and register that in your body. I mean, you just kind of described exactly what you should do, right? You're, you're noticing the feeling in your body your the physical expression and we get antsy and we get like you know that sort of restlessness yes 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 or it kind of goes more on the anxious side where you feel like something's gonna happen I don't know what it is but we're just kind of on edge right and um I love that you just leaned into the movement of the body because sometimes we don't we're still processing your your body's just processing what is happening yeah. I'm feeling something. Something's being stirred up, yeah. and not um, not to jump to thoughts too fast. But I love that you just started moving because that is really so beneficial. Yeah, but I mean, it just speaks to what you were saying earlier about your body taking on a lot of this before our brain even knows what's happening. And I I don't think, mm. like you said, we pay enough attention to that. So I think we just expect to know, you know, like what our feelings should mean. I think we just, our own expectations are that like we should just know what these emotions are about and what all these feelings mean and then what to do with them. But the reality is sometimes you got to play catch up. Like your brain needs to catch up with your body or your heart needs to catch up with your body to kind of be like, oh, this is why. And I think, yeah. 
And processing, that's why I think processing is so, that's kind of the confusing space. You know, we feel at the anger, we'll feel like the bolder, bigger, visceral ones, but processing really catches us off guard. It's the ones where we're just kind of sad and we're just down today and we're just low energy and, and we're feeling like we want to almost cocoon. And that to me is really where we would witness and be like, ah, yes, I need to catch up from last week when I was going through all that other stuff. And my body and mind are just needing that really lower energy. And that's when I say, how can we add the comfort to that? Because sometimes what we do is we shame ourselves. Oh, I didn't do the laundry. The house is a mess. Mm -hmm. It's easy today. What's, you know, so we're going now into this whole shame cycle, right? Yes. Instead, we can say, I know why I'm processing because, man, last week was a lot. And I need time to just decompress. I need time to not think, not make choices, not ruminate, not feel. And that's okay. Like, lean into that. What do we need to add to that? You know, and it's all the actually... The physical, visceral part of trauma needs that. The subconscious things that make us feel comfortable and loved and um, really soothed. We don't know why, you know, like a hot shower, comfy socks, fluffy pajamas, new sheets, aromatherapy, like Mm -hmm. all these senses. So I always suggest when when it's in that space, what do your senses need first? Like, what do you need to feel and eat and touch and smell? Um... And sometimes that's with someone else and sometimes that's alone and that's okay. And that's okay to say to your, you know, your partner, I just need to veg upstairs by myself tonight. <laughs> that's yeah. time to just deprogram and tune out. And really it's when we give ourselves those nights and those days, we can actually, we feel, oh, I needed that. And now I, for some reason, I do have a bit more energy. I feel like I'm able to connect a bit more. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point too, like say about like your partner, you know, what if your partner's expectations are a little different than yours too? Like they can't quite understand. How do you have that conversation with your partner to say, you know, this is what I need right now. Can you, you know, I I mean, versus, you know, whether it's you don't have kids or if you do have, you know, kids already and you're dealing with secondary infertility, because, you know, if you already have a kid that you're supposed to be taking care of, but you're just feeling like really run down from, you know, the experience of infertility. How do you have that conversation with your partner in a way? It's a huge one to have. Yeah. I think it's a a good place to start. And where I always like to start with couples is thinking about how we communicate and where does it, where do we kind of teeter on sharing what we need and not letting it go into, you've now abandoned me and I feel rejected. Because there's always that, you know, that, great area where if I'm saying I need time alone upstairs I just need you know my own space do we have trust that that they don't take that as rejection and abandonment is there a baseline that we say unless they tell you it's you it's not about you and that's kind of where I know it sounds so simplified but really that's where I make couples start again is meet back as friends that just understand that I trust you and I, I want to support you. And if you tell me that that means uh, hours or a day without me, I'm okay because I know it's not about me and I, I want to give you that space. But imagine if we don't have that trust or that baseline. Saying I'm going upstairs 
and walking away to the other person would be like, oh man, mm-hmm. what if, what did I do? <laughs> what yeah. happened? Yeah. You know, I'm failing. I don't yeah. know what to do. It's all my fault. So then that becomes a whole narrative that, that your poor spouse is sitting in, not understanding what that space actually means. So it's, yeah, I love that question because let's, let's have a trust system that allows us both to get support the way we need it that feels like safety and that feels like, hey, you know what, when I'm done, I'll come downstairs, we'll circle back, let's have a chat. And that feels okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would imagine a lot of times we wouldn't figure this out, you know, until we've done a cycle or so, or, you know, had experienced something that, that feels very traumatic or some type of loss or something where we go, whoa, you know, I, I didn't know I needed some time myself. But once you've established that, would you say, like say before your next cycle or your next treatment or whatever you're going to do or your next transfer, that you kind of set that precedent. Like, hey, if if this happens, then you know this is this is the routine and it doesn't mean anything. Like, would you do that? Like every cycle, or kind of just remind them, like, hey, you know, like at the end of this thing, I just need this a short period of time, just so it's like a gentle reminder that this is still a safe space for mm-hmm. both of you or what do you recommend to yeah. kind of best communicate that on a regular basis so that you know n- not that we always need reminders but sometimes it's nice to be like oh yeah okay or hey guys i hope you're enjoying the episode so far we're just going to take a quick break so don't go anywhere we'll be right back Back to our episode. I, I, you know, I just need you to remember. Yeah, I think, and the, the beautiful thing is, I think we all do need constant reminders. <laughs> and I think that's more of a human way to look at it, that we as the, even the most confident, you know, established person needs to know you're not a bother, you, you deserve love, I'm here for you, it's, you're not too much. You know, we just, our soul, our hearts need to feel that. And even even in the most connected marriages, it's nice to just have that reminder. Um, but I, I like reevaluating constantly because we know things change on the daily, yes. <laughs> on the hours sometimes. It's yes. just such a volatile space. That's why boundaries are... Boundaries are not, hey, this is what I'm putting in stone. This is This is what I need right now today. I don't know what tomorrow will look like. I don't know what I need next cycle. This this is what I need today. And so that's really adaptive and that's okay. Um, and I even get couples to think about maybe, you know, we've done it this way. Let's take a look at, is it still serving us? Does it still feel supportive, safe? Something as small as how do we receive the phone calls? Is it together or is it me at work by myself, me in my car? Is it, um, you know, is it via email or do we have an understanding that we will only take news and information when we're sitting together? You know, and it's kind of little things like that, that we think, oh, I've always just done it myself, but I wonder why it's feeling so heavy for me and why that was so scary to think about doing it again, because, yeah, you were alone and that was really big information and you had no one to bounce that off or process it with. No wonder it felt so hard. But you know what, we can, let's add more support. So we both say, 
when we both get home from work, we'll call the clinic and get that information. Or maybe we're only accepting email and we'll call them back. You know, there's little things that we can say that feels safer to me. That feels better for us as a couple. So, I mean, I think it's important to kind of talk about all the different people that are going through this. So I think for sure, you know, couples who are going this together, doing this together, whether or not they're heterosexual or same-sex couples, but like I'm kind of switching gears a little bit to the independent parents, the parents who are going through this by themselves where maybe they don't have that partner that they can lean on to. So, and there's a whole different set of expectations. And I think how other people view that, they don't always get the most support. You know, sometimes family members aren't super supportive about it. Um, And so, you know, what do they do if, you know, you're doing this alone and you're, you know, dealing with a lot of these heavy things, what can you do to kind of help yourself there? Yeah, that's a really unique space. And I do have some clients that are, you know, going at this by themselves and, um, or they were in a relationship and now they're single parenting or wh- whatever their scenario is, it's, it really is that space of needing extra support, right? And um, so I, I really believe that, yeah, bringing in support wherever you can, that feels really good for you. But also just being true to you. You know what you need and you know what works for you. Um, I always ask people, you know, what what got you out of bed when you were like rock bottom? Like what what was that space? What made you get off the floor? What made you finally call somebody or just to reach out? Because that is that courageous space that we need to just add authentic authenticity to. And sometimes that means, you know, someone dives into work. Let's not shame that. That's how people survive. Whatever motivates you or whatever makes you feel worthy and make like you're making progress and that you're giving back and that you have something that you're good at. That's really what builds our self-esteem back up. And so it's great to think about that, right? What can you add that will help you? And let's not shame how we survive. Yeah, and I think... Whatever that is. Yeah, and I think too... Um, you you actually bring up a good point, too, about some people who are on the floor because they're having such a hard time. There is no perfect way to express how hard of a time you're feeling. Just because you're not on the ground crying every day doesn't mean you're not having a hard time. And just because you are on the ground crying, having a hard time doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, over-exaggerating or you're being dramatic or whatever, because I think that, too comes with this space where some people are like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you know, I kind of hear it sometimes too. It's like, oh, the miscarriage was only six weeks. What's the big deal? You know? So I think too, to kind of normalize that we all express some of this in varying degrees and there's this big spectrum and anything inside of that spectrum is okay because I do hear that. I mean, sometimes I'll get messages too and they're like, oh, I'm having a really hard time. And I know all I did were IUIs. And I'm like, well, mm. first of all, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> like, second of all, I'm not a coach. And third of all, yeah. I'm like, it's okay to have a hard time. I'm like, you need yes. to talk to Chammy because I'm like, I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> you gotta talk to somebody, right? Yes, I know. I love that sort of, that question that you're thinking about because it really well it speaks to a couple things the first one that I was thinking about is how we express you know our distress and how we express um, 
feelings and then how we bridge comfort to that is so vast and it's usually I usually ask people you know what is your relationship with asking for help and that that usually opens up this big past history because infertility space is not the first time that you know you we felt this but is it's probably the biggest one and it's the fastest one it's the most vulnerable one but if your history and your your style is you don't I don't I like being more private I don't usually ask a lot of people for help it's not a space that feels comfortable to me I love when people are honest about that because it's such a great self-reflection. So telling someone to just, you know, reach out and get support and, and make an Instagram page and get into community, that doesn't work for everybody. That doesn't speak to them and how they actually bridge connection and support. So we can, we sometimes feel like, oh, it's my fault that I'm alone because I, I haven't done that stuff. And if I did, maybe I would feel better. But that's not, that's not true because I always say, let's speak to the you that you know, and, and you know yourself best. Maybe you just need one person that you really can just connect with, whether that's a professional voice or, or someone that you trust, that will be enough because we just need that, that space to just share and be seen and validated. Um, and so, it, yeah, it really varies. And I always ask people, what? tell me about that for you. Yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know what will yeah. work. Well, and I think, too, another thing that comes up is I think some people are resistant, and this may be what you're talking about. Some people are resistant to getting help, not necessarily because... I think that they're afraid, although they might be. But I think, too, there's they feel like there's a stigma behind not being able to deal with your own emotions. You know, the expectation that you should just be able to deal with this because it's not that big of a deal. It's just infertility. Like, you know what I mean? So what do you what do you say to those people? Because I always encourage people to get help, although I hadn't considered what you just talked about, that sometimes that's just kind of how they deal with things. And, you know, that may be all that history kind of tied to that. But I try to always encourage people to find somebody outside of their like inner circle of people to like unload. Because like, I think there's a thing about unloading on your friends and family that feels different than this safe space of zero judgment and unloading there feels different to me. And I don't know how to describe it other than when I'm in that space and unloading, it it feels like I really can unload where I'm not, there's no filters. Whereas when I'm talking to family and friends, there's filters because one, I don't want to burden them. Two, they know me. Like they might think that like, you know, they might judge me in some way, shape or form. So I will hold back certain things that I say. I, I may not bring certain things up. Whereas when I'm talking to a professional person who I've budgeted time to be with that day, you know, at that time, for that amount of time, I can just like emotion and word vomit. <laughs> and just, you know, <laughs> yes, like, I, I, yeah. that's how, uh, that's why I the feel like it's is different. different. Yeah. So what are your yeah, thoughts on that? It is. It's so different. And I think, yeah, it, it, we know when we're talking to a friend and they're venting, oh my gosh, you know, this is really hard and I hate this. And, and then if we responded with, you know what, have you thought about going to therapy? That would really sting. That would be like, oh, right. So I, I know as friend to friend, it's not our space 
to suggest. We hate it. Everyone hates suggesting us. Just, just listen. Just let me vent. Just tell me how shitty it is and how, how much, you know, how hard it is. And I think that's why there's an expectation there of just that equitable space of I'm listening. I'm holding that for you. Right. And that's okay. And I think it takes time for people to actually get to a place where they're ready. So they know therapists are out there. We all know the support is there, but maybe we're not ready to process that or to enter that because a lot of this space is, is really heavy. You know, a lot of things that people share with me and that I work through is quite traumatizing and, and not only physically, but mentally. And so sometimes it's the first time they've actually spoken about it. And, and expressed, you know, I felt really scared in that moment. And so I think we have to get to a place where we're ready. Um, and I, I find that most people that reach out to me are in that very space. Sometimes it's been years. Sometimes it's been a lot of different cycles and procedures and just a, an avalanche of stuff. And they're just trying to figure out, I need someone to help me navigate what I've been through and also kind of how it's showing up now. Yeah, and I kind of want to talk about your work too. So as far as your work goes, like, so you help, do you only help women? Do you help couples or what does that look like? And, and kind of- I do, I help both, yeah. And I always, when I have consults with people, I always say, you know, we have an hour together, whether that's you and I um, or whomever you want to bring into that space that would be beneficial. So, um, I love starting off first with just the physical body guy, just the woman woman first, because I need to get a really good baseline of what that experience was like. And then I ask, I usually ask her, would it be beneficial to for me to facilitate a space that you guys could talk and I could just help navigate? Um, and, and often the answer is, yes, I would love him to be able to <laughs> come and sit with us. I want him to yes. hear some stuff. Yes. <laughs> You say, right. you say it to him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really that, but that is where the benefit lies is, is just adding context and sharing, you know, why people are feeling the way they are and also how can we add, you know, love and support to this unit and making sure that um, everyone's voice is heard. Um, and usually, I, you know, the, the partner, not to stereotype, but the partner is, is usually... You know, it, it takes a while for them to really dig into the how do you feel <laughs> versus, you know, the thoughts and the plans and, you know, that sort of space. So it's it's really beautiful, though, when that happens and how how powerful it is for people to to feel that validation of someone saying thank you, even as simple as that. Thank you for everything you're sacrificing for us. And it's like, oh, my goodness, that's powerful. Right? It's it's really great, but it's it's really beautiful too when when the partner does start to open up and say, well, actually, you know what? I it really was hard for me to see you like that, and and they almost need this reassurance and um, permission to, hey, you don't have to heal or take care of me. We we you know we've got each other. That's our job together. But sometimes the men's perspective is, oh, if if I start crying and if I get all emotional, who's going to be the tough guy? Who's going to be the one holding us up? I don't want to put that burden onto you. And it's a nice reframe to say, you don't have to. We're just here to witness and carry each other, right? It's okay. 
and it always gives me goosebumps when I feel that yeah. it's such a powerful space. And do you, will you also work with like family members of, so like, cause you kind of said, you know, anyone that'll come in to, so like, let's say you have a mother-in-law or let's say you have um, a mother who's really giving you a hard time and, you know, you're struggling to communicate. Will you also say that, um, you know, they can come in and kind of work out some of these feelings together as well? Yeah, I have. I've had the privilege of, of sitting with some families that were just wanting to, to understand and help support their daughter or their son-in-law and, you know, that family unit better. And if it's beneficial, yeah, why not try it, right? I'm, it's, it's such a space that we're so open to just trying anything that might be beneficial, um, especially coming out of two and a half years of not only were our, was our community going through this, but we had COVID and we had restrictions and we had people that were going through treatment and loss and grief alone. Like physically, they didn't get to touch somebody in the hospital or the, or the, the clinic. We didn't have someone holding our hand. We had to go in with masks and suits. And it's almost surreal talking about it now. I mean, it was not that long ago. That was the reality. And I always take time to not Let's not rush over what that was because I want people to understand how you grieved and processed. That wasn't normal. We needed so much more. We, sh- we just, yes, you, you, you survived it and you did it, but man, that wasn't a normal space. You deserve to have someone hold you and be there with you and take you there and walk with you there. And um, so, do we, I, you know, I, I always want to pause and just say, let's make sure we don't rush over how hard that was and how surreal that still probably feels, right? Um, But, and yeah, we're getting really zoomed out too. So I've been suggesting to clients, let's get off the Zoom sometimes and just go walk walk outside. (laughs) Yes. We've been doing that, the walk and talks. They're fabulous. They're, especially if you're, I mean, summer in Canada is like right around the corner. So um, in other places, depending on where they are in the world, they're like, yeah, I would love to sit in the garden and just talk and have a session. So let's try anything that helps the space feel really good and helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think you bring up a good point, too. It's like this is almost like our everyday now. Like we only talk to people over like video yes. <laughs> and stuff like that. It's true. Yes. The connection is I mean, I think it really is different, yeah. you know, and it's mindfulness. Like I, I always I'm really transparent in sessions and I'll always, I'll say, you know what, I just, let's just pause for a minute and as awkward as that probably looks, I, let's just roll our shoulders back and just take a, let's take a breath. Because if you were in front of me in my office, you would have a tea and we would probably look down a bit. You look out the window, we'd pause, the body language would be there. But in Zoom, it's, I find the cadence and the pace is it's not natural. It's what we're used to, but in a therapeutic space, you have to really slow it down. So I have to be really mindful of my voice that it's coming from my stomach, not up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know, it has to come from here. It has to be low. It has to be slower. And the body language, we don't get that space of even, you know, connecting. So the, yeah, it's, it's mindful for the ther- like people, the supporters to start thinking about all of those little nuances because they really do make a difference. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's the other thing too, as far as, you know, expectations is at what point, 
Should we, because it sounds like you work with people like all along the spectrum. You could be currently in treatment, fertility treatment, or you could be years out. But at what point would you recommend people get help? Like at what point during their process or what are the signs that like, hey, maybe you're having a hard time by yourself. You should get some support. Like at what point do you think maybe you need a little extra help? That's a, yeah, that's a good question. And I guess it would make sense to just think about it in a sense that whenever the person feels like they might need some extra comfort and support and context. And like you said before, maybe that is someone that is just starting their first, um, had their first appointment with the RE, and now maybe they've done one IUI. Maybe it's someone that's four years in after five transfers. So it, I don't know if there's a framework necessarily more so someone saying, this is really hard. I, I really wanna just talk to someone and get context about that and and see if I can feel and navigate better. Yeah. And how do you know when you have someone good that you're working with? Because I mean, I've, I know I've seen some certain people in the past and I just didn't drive with them for whatever reason. I just didn't feel good. I mean, you know, this goes for anything, REs or, you know, or coaches or therapists or anyone that you're working with. Like, how do you know whether or not it's a good match for you? Because I just find that I don't, I don't, I know I've said this a million times, but I don't know how you get inside our heads and our bodies, but you do, like, you just get it. And I just, I'm like, this is crazy. She has like ESP or something because <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you're saying everything that it, like, and so to find someone like, like, how do we find someone like that? Like, how do we know when we connect? I think it's such a, um, a personal space too, isn't it? And that's why I always do consults, but I do, I, I need to hear your voice and you need to hear my voice. And usually it's within the first two minutes that someone decides. It's really that small space of, I'm looking for compassion. I'm looking for somebody that, yeah, can add uh, some context and that has knowledge and obviously awareness and a background that is professional, but also, do I feel comfortable with them um, is probably the biggest one, right? More so than anything else. And that's that takes probably less than two minutes, even though we, st- we talk for 30 um, for in consults. But I think it's really important to have that one-on-one just to gauge it. And how often do you recommend that people have their sessions? It's It really varies depending on their you know, their next four to six weeks, because some people are in a protocol and they're in in the midst of treatment and their timelines are very specific. And we kind of strategically place sessions of, you know, processing appointments and then two week wait and probably follow up. Um, So that's kind of a, a, that's a normal plan. But also if that timeline is open, then we, I love keeping a momentum going. It's, there's nothing worse than, you know, having an amazing consult, going to book your first session. It's like six weeks. You know, that's, that's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. that goes against what why I started this. And so I always, I, I really try to work backwards and I juggle last minute bookings and sort of emergency style scenarios and also just my client base that's doing it every couple of weeks or so. Or I have some people that, you know, they've already purchased the sessions and they just place them, you know, one here, a couple months later, scenarios, things have come up, big moments have been processed and they're circling back to chat about that. 
So yeah, lots of lots of different scenarios for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I have some questions that came in. Let me let me bring these up really quick for you. <laughs> so uh, Annie says everyone needs a chammy in their corner. Book a session ASAP. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, Annie, thank you so, so much. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm serious. She had such wonderful things to say about you. She's the um, best. She really is. I really like Annie. Shout out to you. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, um, I love it. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, okay, so one of the questions is: You hold so many infertile stories. How do you decompress yourself? Hmm. I don't know. See, I don't. I don't even know. Decompress is a yeah. It's a, that's a confusing word, maybe, because I never feel like I have to. Um, it's such a like you don't feel the weight of everyone's. I, it's such a privilege, and it it's such um, an incredible space and an honor to sit with people in these moments. Um, for me, I, my support is really also with other, you know, colleagues that do this exact same job. And we kind of, we do have a support chat on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, that yeah. is just a few of us that it's a very, you know, a very specific scope too with infertility, IVF, trauma and loss, literally. Um, and so it's nice to bounce off questions and thoughts and feelings around just the day to day in, in that space. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't ever have kind of this heavy weight. I feel almost the opposite it, um, when I finish my day of just, wow, that was really powerful. We made such progress and we had held such beautiful space together. And I'm always thankful for that. Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. Um, okay, how do you set boundaries with family who expect to hear every update of your journey? That's a tough one, isn't it? What do you think, Victoria? Like when you're, when you have loving family, right? You have say, we'll call her mom. <laughs> mom wants to check in. And we've been really, we've been really generous with bringing in people, right? In our family, keeping them up to date. And that's something that I always say to couples, let's keep reassessing that. Cause just because maybe at the beginning, everyone was in the email and everyone was on board. And, but then, you know, after a few cycles or just a, a lot of accumulative space, it starts to feel like kind of heavier expectation. And so that's a question I always get couples to think about is, is this sharing actually adding value to your space? Or do you feel like it's a an expectation because we've always done it? And it's okay to say this cycle, we're actually keeping it very private. And when we're ready to reach out and share, we will, because it's not the same as the first one. Um, and, and knowing that boundary of protection and just kind of coveting that, just the two of you for a little bit is, is okay. So yeah, circling back, I guess, to the person that wants all the information, we could just graciously say, um, I think we're just not in the space to do as much sharing as we were before. You know, our capacity is really quite low. Our bandwidth emotionally is really getting smaller and we're just taking care of ourselves right now. You know, the, that kind of wording, I think the person on the other side would say, oh gosh, yeah, no, that's okay. I get that. Um, okay, the next one is, what is one recommendation you have for everyone for their mental health during fertility treatment? I think the, the biggest one would be what you give to yourself first, right? If your, your sort of narrative around what you're feeling and what you can add compassion-wise and comfort-wise, and it's really giving yourself the permission to do that, to be selfish, to say no, 
to lean into what I need today, even if I think it's going to disappoint people. Um, I think it has to start with us. If we don't give ourselves that permission, it will be just that rabbit or that hamster on the wheel, constantly trying to figure out and please everybody. Um, so I think it has to start with that, right? For me too, I mean, I think for women, it's that really leaning into giving ourselves permission to put ourselves first when we need to and saying no. Do you work with anyone outside of Canada? I do. I work with, um, I would say mostly outside of Canada, but the last couple of years, I would say I've had a huge influx of Canadians. Yay! Yeah. So it's been really <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's, it's kind of nice just to have, yeah, you know, a local or just the Canadian camaraderie there. But um, I would say mostly it's, yeah, a lot of North America, predominantly, um, Europe, so UK and Germany, um, those kind of spaces. I've only ever had to say no to one time zone. It was East Africa somewhere, and we just could not find a time that worked. Yes. But the silver lining of people working from home is really that they can carve out uh, a time that works, which is wonderful, versus just that nine to five that used to be allotted. So we can usually always find some a, a time that works, which is great. And I and I do weekends when needed. I mean, there's people that that do shift work and that do they're sleeping and they need time off and they're not a regular nine to five. So and we figure out, yeah, maybe a, a later time. It just has to be a time where you're relaxed. <laughs> it's right. So if you're gonna be in the you know in your office and then kind of really cr- maybe crying or feeling really vulnerable and having to go back to work, not not ideal, right? But um, I've had some people just sit in their car after work and just chat before they, you know, drive home. And that is actually a relaxing, calmer space. So that whatever works. Another question is, how do you tell your superiors about your treatments? I'm, I'm assuming is, you know, like if you need time off or anything like that. But like, how do you have that conversation without divulging, I guess, too much or too little the right amount to kind of say, hey, I need time off for work, putting yourself first, but at the same time, yeah. you know, I think that's what this question is. I know, is. that's such a vulnerable space, isn't it? Because I feel like not all bosses would be compassionate, and that's something that's really hard. So I feel that don't give any information that doesn't feel comfortable, and nor are you, nor should you have to. There, no one's privy to personal information or details per se. Um, but if you feel it's going to benefit you and, and they're empathetic and they'll be, you know, give you more space and time, that's really, it's really hard to know though. Depends on the person. But obviously your HR department will know what you are technically and really, you know, contractually allotted and you don't need to go into personal details about that. And I think this kind of is similar to the first question. Um, it says, how can you tell a family member to back off fertility questions when you're feeling sad? <laughs> And I wonder what kind of questions that they're asking, right? And it's, and I, it, it's probably a really raw space because sometimes questions feel more like accusations. <laughs> and sometimes mm. questions, have you tr- have you guys tried? Yes, you know, they start to feel just really like they're, it's thrown back to us. The shame starts to creep in or the doubt of I'm an adult, I know what I'm doing. I have a whole medical team actually that knows what we're doing. <laughs> but thanks yes, and yes. Julie for the, yes. <laughs> the article. Um, so I think that's where our defenses start to pop up is 
we know when we think of the person we know the sentiment is from care we get that we know they're trying to be helpful but we're also allowed to say it's not helpful you know we're not actually taking we're not in the space of taking in suggestions or um, wanting that or talk we don't really want to talk about that right now it's really hard to say I know it's so awkward isn't it <laughs> it's really it's a really awkward space to say I don't find this helpful but I think even more so it's okay to say it annoys me they are so annoying it really starts to rile me up and not and for us not to feel like the jerk we're not we're not it's okay you know it's okay to feel annoyed and to feel like where, you know, people don't think we know what we're doing because we do. Well, if people want to work with you or if they want to connect with you, how do they reach you? How do they, you know, follow you or um, if they have any other questions? Instagram is, is our main guy. So you can always, you know, follow at Misconception Coach. And um, obviously my website, misconceptioncoach.com. Um, I have on my Instagram, there's a direct link to just book a consult. And I kind of have a little blurb that says in my stories, because I get a lot of messages and I don't always reply timely. <laughs> it's usually like three or four weeks in a you know time frame, but it's, I do say that's why I have the consults. Like if it's if it's urgent and it's necessary and you really want to chat, book a time and let's do that face to like let's do it over the phone so I can really sit down and have a good chat because direct messages are not the best way to talk about this stuff. It, this is really vulnerable, important. Um, spaces so and anywhere on the spectrum of uh, fertility or loss or anything like that doesn't have to be like within the last year it could be like five years out from a loss or something like that too right if someone's still struggling yeah I, I think there's every space imaginable that I kind of work in um, and it's a very generic space sometimes we'll start together here and now we're here you know maybe six months to a year later and that's okay that that's a very natural progression and there's yeah there's no sort of timeline or space that it doesn't fit um any loss or grief or or traumatic space that it belongs here and that's that's welcomed and you can do kind of like you said you can plan these sessions out closer to when you're having treatment but at the same point in time, can you, let's say, you know, if you're doing well for a short period, if you're like going once a month or, you know, once every couple months or kind of checking in once a quarter, do you do that too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't run out ever. I've had, I think some people come back almost a year later and, it, and in a very natural, generic way. Maybe they had paused or maybe they actually got pregnant and had a newborn and, you know, life got crazy. So there's no time frame to, to use them up and they don't, yeah, they don't run out or go void. So um, I, I do try to just check in with people after, you know, maybe five, six months of, hey, <laughs> what, how are you, you know, and just to circle back because sometimes we do need a little bit of a nudge and they, and they usually people always say, oh gosh, it's been on my list. I know I need to, you know, set a time. And so just thinking about that too. Yeah. Um, well, Jamie, oh my gosh, like such a pleasure to have you on. I'm so grateful for all that you're doing for all of us. I mean, honestly, when I read the stuff that you post, it just is so helpful. And I know it's not meant for therapy by itself, but it really does validate. I feel like for me anyway, it really does validate my feelings of, you know, some of this, 
whatever it is at the time that you're talking about, whether it's loss, trauma, whatever, um, I feel like, oh my gosh, she gets it. She like totally understands what this means. I can see what Annie's talking about now. Like, why is she like, she's like, no. And like having someone who understands that is so important. Cause I said, I went through a couple of these therapists who just like, we couldn't just quite connect because they just couldn't quite grasp all that was going on and kind of all the feelings that are tied into this. So having someone on your side that really understands it. I mean, like I said, you, you see us in our deepest, darkest hours, you know, and um, the work that you do is just so meaningful to a lot of us who are struggling. And, you know, we're able to come out of the other side because we have, you know, help uh, from wonderful people like you. So thank you so much for doing oh your gosh, work. And thank, thank you, so you for cool. being I, here. I will. I have just always vowed to always keep the page safe and to be trigger free. And I haven't deviated that from that I, I and I always that is my sole you know purpose is you can always come to my page and I will be speaking the truth about pain and loss and if you don't want to hear about that this is not yes. the page for you if yes you want, you yes. Know, success stories and you want you know all of these other things um that doesn't that's not what it's about so that's really where the probably why it resonates with a lot of people is because these are things that we're thinking that we kind of want someone just to say it's the truth just speak the truth it's not sad it's not negative it's just the truth and it's it's a great thing and i think when we first set out to have this conversation we really want to talk about normalizing a lot of these feelings and expectations and things so i think to trying to help people change the narrative and change I think the conversations happening around what infertility looks like Mm -hmm. and you know that struggling is okay and it's okay to struggle because I think a lot of us do have this expectation that we're supposed to be superhuman that we're supposed to be superhuman and we're supposed to just right bounce right back from all of this and come out the other side unscathed when the reality is a lot of us have cuts and scrapes and scratches and scars coming out the other side Mm -hmm. you just can't see them you know like it's different people don't have that same expectation when you get in a car wreck and you're having a really hard time you know it's like when you go through a lot of this like a lot of our scars we can't see and so for us to expect that we'll come out the other side completely unscathed and some people might which is great but if you're not one of them then you know I think that it's okay to say you know what let's have a conversation about that it's it's normal to go through all of this and feel like you're struggling and need to reach out to someone and there are wonder wonderful human beings out there who can help you like jamie so normalizing yeah Yeah, i love that i think and that speaks to all mental health too doesn't it or just chronic illness or any space where like you said it's not a visual tangible pain and that's one of that's you know the scope of the living losses that we infertility kind of forces us to or and the grief that's disenfranchised and the the spaces that we don't get comforted it's that special that's that unique lens of you can't see it and not a lot of people are are then comforting you in your pain and that's what makes yeah the support so necessary Oh, Chami, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my gosh, you're so thank lovely you as always. And I just love 
talking to you. I can do this all day long. <laughs> I won't make I you do it all day long with me. I would love to. I would love to. Thank you so much. Yes. So hopefully um, you'll come back in the future. We'll have another conversation. I think there's so much around this we can talk about. And, you know, I think there's so much of it that we need to talk about. Just, I think, mental health in general. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of us do have a hard time, you know, with all of these treatments. And it's an important discussion to have. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope you'll come back and join us soon. I'd love to come back. Yes, let's do it. Thanks, Victoria. We'll talk soon. Thanks. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes. And I hope to see you back again soon. Bye.